Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast, which we don't know the name of. Good afternoon, Toronto. Yeah, we are uh, your hosts, your co-hosts, Yawar and Nabil, and uh, we are still trying to figure things out. Um, so, you know, right now we have a kind of like a uh, interim name um, and, you know, we're not going to uh, name the name right now in case we decide to change it later and we don't want to go around about uh, auditing uh, editing audio files and re-uploading and republishing so we'll we'll leave that for later but um yeah today we are you know interested in talking about a very, very a subject that's really close to my heart and i think nabil as well you are very interested in this as well we'll talk about energy energy so you know what is what is energy why do we want to talk about it obviously we Everybody is aware in today's world that uh, there's a lot of uh, discussions about energy, the future, uh, the climate crisis, the war in Ukraine. All of these things are inextricably interlinked, uh, and uh, there are many, there are many, many issues to discuss. Uh, but let's lay the groundwork for just a little bit. Why, why is this so important, right? And why are we heading into the climate crisis? Well, because as a technologically advanced, to a certain extent, advanced civilization, uh, humankind needs energy, and we need uh, massive amounts of energy to to power our, all of our systems on this world. Uh, you know, if you drastically reduce how much energy you consume, you are going to drastically reduce the quality of life and the no, uh, amount of life that can be supported, human life that can be supported by this planet. Uh, energy is required for everything from uh, uh, improving crop yields to running uh, hospital intensive care units uh, to production systems and even AIs like ChatGPT, which need energy to survive. So uh, it's pretty important. Uh, but yeah, I'm just gonna take ask you know Nabil here. What what's your perspective on it? I think I think you know um, you can you can see the inflation across the globe that's happening. And there are three major aspects to that inflation. One is a food crisis, uh, food support prices. You know how much does food cost? Um, the the other one is definitely energy, and the third one is is the financial aspect of it. Um, you know the banks and, and and all of that. But but you know the Ukraine war um, highlighted how how the dependence of energy on a global scale across countries um, is has been a foundation of, of, of globalization and, 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 and therefore economic growth across across the world um, and it has brought out uh, what challenges we are facing and, and uh, uh, those challenges uh, are across the spectrum of the energy energy uh, needs that we have so it covers nuclear it covers oil and gas it covers batteries because storage is important it covers well we talk about okay so if we're getting off of oil and gas we need to still fulfill that energy somehow where are we headed how are we going to do this because we still need the energy we have you know, um, where, where do we find the the uh, opportunities for that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to me, it's very interesting because as Russia, you know, continues the war in Ukraine, 
uh, Europe and its allies, the U.S. and everybody have condemned and sanctioned Russia. But at the same time, they have continued to buy Russian fuel uh, every day, massive amounts, and sending money to Russia uh, because the European countries are worried. They are energy insecure. They're worried about fuel prices. They're extremely worried about people, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 going, uh, you know, protesting against the government's uh, mismanagement and uh, or perceived mismanagement or perceived uh, failures to secure uh, low energy prices because you know people are very very sensitive to energy costs like you and I if you think about our household energy expenditure if uh, you know what would happen if our energy costs were to double tomorrow from tomorrow onwards I would I would add on that it's not just that they're they're conscious about energy costs but they're also to a large degree, my generation, you know, our generation and, and the younger generation has been educated that about uh, climate change and the relationship between some energy form production formats uh, and climate change. So, for example, it's not that Europe doesn't have coal. It has very dirty coal. It has very and, and it will take two, three years to get those coal, coal uh, uh, refined. Yeah, no, not refined. The power stations back up because they're they're like really old power stations, uh, pre nuclear, yeah. pre oil and gas. Right. So you know, a power station built in the nineteen fifties. If you're retrofitting it for for production, dirty coal. yeah, for from 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 dirty coal, it's gonna be still even at the, the best of technologies that you use. It's gonna take some time to retrofit it. And it's still gonna be yeah. dirty in, in 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 some at some level. So on the one hand. You know the Dutch government is 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 trying to get rid of particular farmers and and pr production methodologies because it's too dirty. Yet you are introducing very dirty coal-based energy. It creates a large amount of uh, uh, you know friction between different segments of society because because you know you can't you can't have it. You can't, on the one hand, introduce something dirty, and on the other, go like, "Hey, we're cleaning our act up." It it doesn't work that way. You you got to be consistent on the messaging. Yeah. Yeah. And how did Europe get into this situation where it's uh, where it has this dependency? Well, I feel like from what I've from what I've read, and I can cite sources on this, uh, Angela Merkel's uh, you know leadership of Germany and by extension, pretty much of Europe, uh, the 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 policy was basically that we should try to. Uh, establish uh, a rapprochement with Russia, right? Uh, mm. To kind of rehabilitate them into the international community by uh, establishing economic dependency between Europe and Russia. So Russia is dependent on European money and Europe is dependent on Russian fuel. So it's a win-win situation. It's good, good business for everybody. And uh, it also doesn't hurt that we secure in Europe a cheap supply of hydrocarbons uh, while we scramble to, uh, you know, set up our renewable energy systems uh, to replace hydrocarbon in maybe a few decades from now. So that was the policy, right? So uh, but so we kind of walked blindly uh, or, or with our eyes open into this Russian trap of, you know, being addicted to Russian energy while at the same time condemning Russia for their, uh, you know, uh, different aggressions. Uh, anyway, so leaving that aside for the time being, um, we do want to discuss uh, the alternatives, right? What, 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 well, what can we do with it? Maybe it's not the time for recriminations. Maybe it's time to figure out solutions. So what are the solutions to the climate crisis? I think, Nabil, you had a very simple and obvious but very difficult um, 
solution as well, right? Yeah, and and so so I I worked uh, on on this particular technologies, a set of technologies related to this about ten years ago, which is insulation and retrofitting existing houses um, with the right materials, with the right construction, with the right retrofits. It can it can you can save up to seventy percent of of energy it for home usage, which drives down your personal bill first of all. So you know uh, a home's personal bill, and then it also drives drives down how much energy is being actually used up uh, at the home, uh, and therefore the national grid. Um, well, that sounds like a pretty amazing and dream you know. In fact, dream solution to the whole problem, to like a big part of the problem. So, yes. what's what's the problem? Why, why aren't and, we doing this? Uh, we are, but but here's 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 part of the challenge. So, if you if you and, and we'll probably post a link to this in 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 the in the in, in the show notes in the show notes because this is something if you're not aware of, you should definitely go check it out. If you are a homeowner in Canada, there are massive amounts of of. Uh, money available for you to retrofit your house so you can improve your insulation you can have digital thermo smart thermostats installed come the government will subsidize like nest and ecobi and those kind of yeah things. yeah the, the the government will nest ecobi etc the government will subsidize uh these these implementations and, and there's a list of them there's like six seven different programs out there um here's the challenge though those programs are pretty much geared towards homeowners, not condo owners, not renters, homeowners, which is detached, semi-detached, semi-detached, detached, and which is a small fraction of the actual population, let's say 20, 30, 40%, I don't know the number, but it's not the full population. The renters have no incentive to retrofit a house that they're renting in. The homeowner has no incentive to retrofit a house that he's rented out. So all of these renters, so the align, the, 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 in, in the majority of, of, of Canadians, I mean, there's a reason affordable housing is an issue it's because most people are not living in their own houses. They're renting and it's not affordable. So for them, there are no incentive for the majority of the population to move in that direction, you know, whether it is a rent incentive or whether it is a... So that's one part of the problem. And the other part of it, the problem is that in urban areas, in condo living, for example, um, condos that were built before a certain time period still are using those manual where you can't tell the difference between 26.5 and, and 27, which... Oh, the, the dials which you have yeah, to adjust. Yeah. Uh, so, so like little things like that um, do end up making a difference, even if it's a 20%, 30% reduction in cost. Um, there is right now no incentive, for example, for condo owners to be installing Nest or Ecobee. So just to give you some example that we are trying to do something on the retrofitting side. It's not enough. It's not smart. The incentives are not aligned. So how do we fix this? Like, what can be done? It, it it has to be it has to be something that that has to be pushed through uh, at the at the political party level you know yeah as I always say engage with your party whichever party you support uh, and go give them these ideas for your own regional areas and if there's a, there's enough of a movement 
from 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 the party grassroots around this, um, it's doable, and it's by the way, it's it's good for the for the economy as well because look, there's there's a there's a need to incentivize the production of renewable uh, uh, renewable products, technologies, yeah, yeah, and services, and become a lead. I mean, I think Canada, China is a great example. So so just just to step away from insulation and and into solar. Um, the supply chain for solar is owned by China. Yes. In 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 solar some panels. Yeah, solar panels. In when when Obama was there, uh, Obama enacted uh, laws for for rebates around solar. They were they were taken up by California, some other states. There was massive amount of investment in solar. But all the investment that happened in solar in the U.S. was around uh, how to sell the product, how to do the software piece of it. All the hardware manufacturing, all the panel manufacturing was done out of China. And they have built out a huge, very nice supply chain for it, but which now, keeping in mind the political situation between China and North America, um, is becoming like... You know, just Very like, yeah. wait, so are you saying that all those incentives, all of those green energy programs and uh, solar panel programs to install panels in the homes, where did those solar panels come from? They came from China. So the yeah. money was paid to China. Yeah, mostly, mostly. Okay. I mean, not all of them. Right. There were there were some companies that were manufacturing out in uh, out in California as well. Right. It's not that every company manufactured out in China. Uh, there were some some programs that were put in place where a lot of money was given to put up manufacturing uh, 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 this was one of the scandals by the way uh, out of the program that there was some some parties that were given a, a lot of money to put up manufacturing in the us but it it it, it never materialized or at least never materialized to the point oh. where 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 so then they never the us expected these companies to build out a solar panel manufacturing capability in the us but these companies reneged. They went back on their word. They never de- delivered. Look, the, when you when you say when you say reneged, I mean I'm 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 not trying to throw mud at at, at anyone over here. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that look, the way that the U.S. economy is structured mm-hmm. is that even when you bring about uh, uh, you know incentives for for people to manufacture over here, and at the same time you're competing with the Chinese cheaper panels which are coming in, which might be less. Um, less uh, effective uh, or may not be i don't know i mean in some cases they were maybe at one point they were yeah yeah in some cases no no it's not at one point it's that you know there are 50 different companies in china some manufacture at a very high quality and some manufacture at a very poor quality like always we can probably just assume that the more expensive ones are high quality and efficient and that's exactly cheaper ones are low quality that's exactly and 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 and, and what what ends up happening as with any industry when you have cheap cheap uh, solar panels that are available, they, dr- I mean, I, I don't see like 10 big American companies that came out of that incentive program or Canadian companies that came out of that incentive program that are dominating the market. What came out of that incentive program was that when you look at China, there are a few big players who have established themselves thanks to the green initiatives that were launched by Obama in the US. Um, they, they built out this, the supply chain for solar panels and they have been then able to use that technology to 
feed their own market in China and build, become some of the best panel manufacturers and suppliers. So, but taking a step back, what I'm trying to say is that on the solar, so there's there's insulation where there's a misalignment of, of, incentives. of incentives. On the solar panel side of things, I think that the, that, you know, solar panels have improved. They are dependent on batteries. So there are some challenges on that side, same with wind, uh, but also that some of the best manufacturing happens out in China. So any supply chain will need to consider that when, when we're looking at I also Yeah, I agree with you. Supply chain, absolutely. China, dependence on China. Are we walking into a similar trap like we did with dependence on Russian hydrocarbons? We are. It seems like we are calmly walking into a very similar situation with China with dependence on solar panels. But I do also want to talk about one more thing, which is the end of life scenario of these technologies. So for example, solar panels, they will uh, end of life. These panels, individual panels will wear out and stop working in about what 20, 25 years. Very yeah. similar with wind turbine technology, wind blades. They'll stop working at a certain point. And at that point, what is the um, plan? What is the scenario for safely disposing of these um, these panels, these wind blade turbines, because you remember, solar panels are made up of um, toxic elements like lead, uh, you know, silicates and other yeah. elements like that. There is no credible plan to safely dispose of these solar panels. Uh, it would the amount of money you would have to spend to set up a plan like that. Uh, I haven't heard of anybody either in the U.S. or in Europe doing anything like that. I mean, sure, there might be small scale efforts, but I don't realistically see. Uh, governments ramping up on these efforts. Uh, realistically, what's going to happen is that they're going to end up, these panels are going to be dumped in uh, poorer countries where they're going to be ending up in landfills and or maybe in the oceans. And they're going to be leaching out their toxic materials uh, over time and, you know, over the next few decades into the into the biosphere, into the ecosystem. Which, which by the way, I, I'm, I completely agree with that. I, and, you know, like... Uh, you, Part of future industries is is recycling of similar materials. It's it 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 does need to be thought about, and and unfortunately, like Western capitalism in its uh, boom bust, you know, uh, we can talk about how the bisons were wiped out. They never think that far ahead. It's it's always the next ten years, not the next twenty five years. In the private sector, it's the next quarter. Like yeah, sure, in the sure. private. The next board, the next board meeting is what you're planning for. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, been there, done that. Shareholders <laughs> meeting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so, so you know, there's it's it's a very short sighted view, um, uh, and I think the the other piece of that is is actually batteries because you cannot make solar work without batteries. Solar. You cannot make any renewable energy source work without it. Solar, wind. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. And and I think and I think the the one thing that that is not talked about often enough is that we have created also a lithium dependency. Lithium is not, by the way, uh, as readily available material. It is only found in some places of the world. Uh, it is it is absolutely where it is mined. It is a destruction of the of the economy of the environment around it. Not the economy, the environment around it. Um, it is it is uh, uh, you know it is it is toxic and and there are better materials that are coming out for lithium uh, replacement for battery replacement um, there is there is 
Iron Age uh, batteries, which is basically they, they use rusting to store energy and, and are able to use, use rusting uh, for that. There is graphene-based ba batteries which are, which are coming out. I'm hopeful about, and sodium-based batteries, so I'm hopeful about like the different other types of batteries that come out. The question is, how quickly are they commercialized? How efficient are they? So graphene we know is five times more efficient than, than, than lithium already. And it's been talked about since about 10 years. There's, there was even a Netflix program on it. Um, but are they, are they commercially available? Are they, uh, no, not at this point, you know. Um, are they not, not at a scale where they can be put in a car or put in a house or put in an industrial capacity? Right. Are, are these, all of these alternative battery technologies viable in the next uh, few decades? Like, let's talk about two decades from now, because two decades from now is kind of our do or die time for hitting our climate targets. So I, I'd say graphene is definitely viable because graphene has been in, in talked about for the past uh, uh, quite a quite a ten odd years. There was uh, there there's there's been lab uh, batteries that have been made which are five times more uh, efficient and which are also less dangerous because lithium tends to form these kind of like spikes that when they touch inside the battery it can it can explode. Uh, graphene is not like that. Graphene is a much safer kind of material. Um, there's also there's also there's also the the opportunity of looking at at uh, as, as I mentioned iron iron uh, air batteries used in rusting and sodium sodium based batteries. Now sodium based batteries are interesting because um, when you talk about large scale storage, sodium and water is basically salt. So you know you can have large electricity storage in in salt baths in, in one way you know uh, for a better better way of explaining it um, so so there are some interesting interesting technologies out there but I think I think when we're talking about storage uh, storage happens in a few ways chemical physical and nuclear so let's touch on that topic. Yeah, we are definitely interested in all of these uh, alternative energy sources. Uh, so we talked about solar, we talked about wind uh, uh, a little bit. Um, we didn't talk so much about geo and hydro, but uh, those are definitely in the back in the mix as well. Now, yeah, let's talk about nuclear. So there's a lot of uh, you know uncertainty and a lot of opinions about nuclear. Uh, one thing we have seen for sure is that um, there are certain you know countries in the world and jurisdictions and, and Places that heavily rely on nuclear power. Uh, many other places are are quickly trying to shut down nuclear. So what's what's really going on? What's the truth? Well, let's look at, for example, Ontario. Right here in Ontario, uh, Ontario is mostly driven by nuclear energy. New, uh, Ontario electricity is mostly generated nuclear, uh, about seventy percent ish. Okay, so uh, Ontario has achieved the big one of the biggest decarbonizations in North America. Our, air is clean, our water is pure, you know, our, you know, rates of respiratory in, uh, diseases caused by, uh, you know, pollution, dust, smog, these kinds of things, these, these kinds of things are unheard of in Ontario. 
Like, whereas if you look at other countries, like let's say, look at you look at Delhi, is famous for its uh, unbreathable air and the lung diseases that people that suffer there. Uh, Chicago is hugely dependent on nuclear energy. Uh, many countries are ramping up and building nuclear energy. So, what's the problem actually with nuclear? What, why? Why? Are European countries so uh, seemingly hell bent on shutting down their nuclear? I, I think I can I can add add some context to to that problem area because I I belong to the to the to the people who believe skeptics that, to the skeptics, um, uh, and and to me, this is this is what I grew up with, and 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 I don't have enough information because I I have started changing my point of view, but this is what I grew up with. One, keeping. Chernobyl, Hiroshima, all of these incidents, Fukushima in mind, uh, the danger associated with, with nuclear energy, num- it, it, there is a danger definitely. Number two, uh, uh, of, of a nuclear accident or, or something to that effect. So that's one. Number two is storage of nuclear waste, how much nuclear waste is produced and how do you store it? And what happens to that nuclear waste? Because, you know, when we talk about renewables, just like you pointed out that there's a waste production on solar, what happens to those panels, right? That is That needs to be taken into the equation of whether or not it's clean or not. And so does the waste produced by nuclear. And that waste is nuclear waste as well as additional waste, such as what's happening in Fukushima and the, and the water storage that is being... Uh, done over there and keep in mind it also is related to what we've been taught about climate change you know uh, and how nuclear affects that um, as well as the horrific pictures of the accidents that have happened uh, and what has what it does to humans or to to life when we talk about uh, nuclear so I think I think those are some of the big big issues that that worry uh, me uh, or and a lot of people of my generation, you know, uh, around uh, what and this is what we grew up with, which we were taught this in schools. So so, you know. Um, I understand. I I understand what you're saying, and I've heard this very similar uh, issues from many people. I feel like. Uh, your standard um, people, people, the, the the amount of knowledge that people have about nuclear is um, very spotty. I feel like. Let me, for example, give you a few rebuttals. Uh, if we're talking about nuclear energy generation, we're talking about nuclear fission uh, generation power plants. Uh, we're not talking about nuclear bombs, right? Nuclear yeah. weaponry is, you know, very very different uh, conversation, like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, and uh, nuclear test sites in the Pacific, things yep. like that. Uh, you know, that's a completely different conversation uh, that should be treated differently because every technology can be weaponized, obviously. Yeah. Uh, even solar power can be weaponized, to, you know, if you build a magnifying lens and set things on fire. Uh, anyway. How did you is, know I was building that? <laughs> uh, Nabil, you got caught, man. Listen, <laughs> sunlight is uh, has exposed you. Um, anyway, so... Um, yeah, I want to kind of uh, debunk some of these uh, myths about nuclear power. And a lot of people are going about doing this. For example, if you look at uh, Canadians for Nuclear Energy, Energy, mm. there's an organization. 
the, the president is Dr. Chris Kiefer. He, he often goes on media and he campaigns for nuclear energy. And the things that uh, people hear about nuclear are uh, kind of uh, misleading or untrue. So for example, uh, Fukushima and the accident at Fukushima and uh, the contaminated water. Uh, yes, there was an accident at Fukushima because of uh, Japan, unfortunately, being in, a, in, in the ring of fire in an earthquake uh, and tsunami prone region. So they had a uh, reactor leak, not a meltdown. There was a leak um, and some water leaked out into the ocean. Uh, however, the contamination in that water, you would have to drink that water for a thousand years to uh, get the amount of radiation exposure that you get from uh, going through an extreme machine. Mm -hmm. So the amount of radiation in that uh, exposed leaked water, contaminated water, is so negligible that um, it, like people worry about uh, things like this um, basically by hyperinflating the statistics or, or risks of things that they don't know uh, much above the risks of things that they do know. For example, it's a well-known fact that um, uh, flying is the safest way to travel, and uh, you know, traveling and uh, vehicles on the road is uh, much more dangerous than flying, right? So, but why are people so much more afraid of flying? It's because they're afraid of the unknown, right? Like if you don't know something, you're going to be afraid of it. Uh, so, does that mean we should shut down uh, air travel? Uh, well, maybe that's a different conversation with regards to climate change, but it doesn't mean that we should shut it down because it's more yeah. dangerous, because it's it's not. Uh, so. I feel similar with nuclear. Uh, now, you mentioned nuclear waste, storage of the waste, uh, longevity of the waste. Now, very few, very, very little of the uh, nuclear waste produced by nuclear fission reactors is high level nuclear waste, what you would call things that are radioactive for a thousand years. Uh, we have safe ways to store uh, high level waste. Uh, in fact, high level waste nuclear storage, or toxic, uh, you know, uh, toxic waste storage is uh, pretty much the only viable uh, uh, waste storage uh, for any technology that we have today. Uh, if you're talking about burning of fossil fuels, the waste from that burn, from from you know combustion of fossil fuels, is released into the atmosphere, and people are breathing it, uh, yeah. you know, in particulates, and people are dying of uh, diseases, uh, you know, lung diseases, lung cancers. Uh, you know, just look at Delhi, for example. Uh, nuclear waste, to storage and disposal, safe storage, safe disposal. The size of, uh, you know, the amount of nuclear waste that you can cram, uh, you know, into like, a, let's say, a football stadium will power our civilization on Earth for thousands of years. Yeah, uh, that, it, that's, that's, and I think that this was a question I was, yeah. I was asking you earlier before we started this discussion. Um, to me, and this is one of the reasons that I am 50-50 because I don't have enough information. To me, if that nuclear waste is, as, as you know, there's nuclear, there's nu radioactive material under the earth right now, which exists. There, there, there are active nuclear fission reactions going on in the earth right now solely due to geothermal pressures in the earth yes. that set up, triggered these nuclear fission reactions right yeah. now. It's happening. Yeah, yes. And, and to me, the question really ends up being like, hey, if our waste production is something like 0.2% of the actual radioactive uh, material being created in the earth right now, then like... It seems that it should, it should be a no-brainer, right? It should be a no-brainer. But if it is something like we're going to increase the nuclear nuclear 
um, energy, uh, you know, the, the nuclear radioactive material on, in the earth by fivefold in the next 10 years, then it's a no brainer not to do it. And, and, you know, so, so there's, there's, there are, there are nuances to the discussion, which I think are never brought. And that's one of the reasons I've become very 50, 50 about it. Another one that I think uh, we can touch on, on the nuclear vision, maybe you have more, more information on this than I do, which is like, Hey, not everything has to be done with with uranium and plutonium. There's new materials like thorium, which are which are safer, and I don't know how much safer they are, or because I'm I'm un, uninformed. This is me having a discussion with somebody else on 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 the on on the issue, and them telling me, well, have you looked into like X generation reactors which are based off of this material? And the thing that I noticed was that they are they are way more efficient. Uh, and way less nuclear waste. So, so do you have any any input on that? Yeah. First of all, you know, let me just um, follow up on the high level waste thing. Uh, so, yeah. we we are safely containing the, those high level wastes in um, uh, safe storage. So, which blocks radioactivity from leaching into the earth into mm -hmm. the ecosystem. So, it's not that we are uh, contributing to an increased uh, amount of radioactivity throughout the earth and throughout the ecosystem by using a nuclear fission and uh, disposing of those toxic wastes. No, we have very safe storage sites which completely block off and we are proposed, uh, we are um, uh, prepared to, um, you know, we, we built those sites and uh, those disposal sites in such a way that they will last for thousands of years. Hmm. Okay. Now, another thing. Much of the uh, nuclear waste uh, uh, produced is actually recyclable, and it is recycled. Mm. Um, so it's recycled as lower-grade fuel. Many reactors can use that, and they do use it as lower-grade fuel. So they keep cycling the fuel through the reactors mm. at different stages of its life cycle. And what happens also is that many of the <clears throat> nuclear materials that you get out of the fission process are actually um, critical medical uh, <clears throat> uh, components. For example, for um, <clears throat> x-ray machines, for cancer treatments, mm. uh, for many of these things, you need nuclear materials that you only get from nuclear power plants, <clears throat> yeah. which is why Ontario has a secure supply of these materials mm. Mm. and other places where, where they have nuclear power. <clears throat> which is also, by the way, one of the reason that Iran gives for, for for wanting to have a nuclear program, by the way. Uh, yes. I mean, which is a different topic altogether. It's a different like, topic. Iran is a bit dodgy <laughs> because they're, we're not sure whether they're trying to make nuclear power or, or, or uh, weaponry. Um, that's the problem with uh, Iran. Anyway, so, <clears throat> so there's a lot of facets to nuclear. There's a lot of misunderstanding and misapprehensions. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if we listen to experts, uh, energy experts, hell, even listen to Greta Thunberg, she is pro-nuclear now. Okay? Yeah. So that should kind of tell you, like, what is the level of uh, reality that we are facing on this planet? That we just don't have the 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 energy, the the, the fuels, the alternative fuels that we're looking at: solar, wind, thermal, uh, geo. They don't have the energy density you need to power a technologically advanced civilization like ours. Okay, now I know we're not exactly Star Trek level, uh, but we are still highly de dependent on, te on technology and energy. So we need high density energy. Nuclear is one of the highest density energy. Nuclear fuel 
is the high, one of the highest density energy fuels that you can get. So I think I think there's there's two two positives and one negative that I'll mention. I'll sandwich them. Um, I think the first positive is that uh, Canada is um, is a uh, is a uh, in in conclusion. This is kind of my conclusion to this. Um, uh, the the first positive is that Canada is is, is one of the foremost uh, manufacturers of nuclear uh, technologies, and there's going to be required across the world. And we're making small small sized uh, modular reactors is is uh, what we're able to build, uh, and you know this will this will uh, definitely help uh, the Canadian economy in the long run. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's Canada is the second largest producer of uh, uranium and roughly provides thirteen percent of the global output. So that's one of the positives. One of the negatives is that keeping the Ukraine war in mind, um, Russia, Kazakhstan, and Niger. And Niger also is in the Russian sphere of influence at this point. Provide about um, forty to fifty percent of the nuclear material. Uh, uh, used around the world so that's one of the one of the challenges uh, out there uh yes i, I know australia and, and but you know um i think 40 percent 30 to 40 percent of the nuclear energy that uh, europe uses is provided by russia or kazakhstan and another 20 percent by niger so it's, I'm, I'm referencing it from the perspective of the of the war in ukraine right Sure. And, the, and the sanctions that that are in place, um, so I think that's that's one of the big challenges, and I think one of the biggest opportunities is is that uh, there are two types of nuclear reaction: fusion and fission. Um, we have been talking mostly about one type. I think we've been talking about fission. Yes. To be honest with you, Nabil, fusion we are still decades away from productionizing. I I I understand that we're decades Maybe away a from. Century. I understand that we're decades away from from doing that, but both in the U.S. last year and in China the year before that, there were massive, massive breakthroughs in the nuclear fission space. Fusion, I agree. Yeah, fusion, fusion, fusion space. And to me, the reason it's important is because the magnitude of of power produced between fission and fusion, the difference in the magnitude of power that can be produced, because the reactor that they're putting up in China or in the US, any one of them goes up and is able to produce the energy that is that that potentially we, we have calculated, it would power the whole of the earth. Well, the more important reason is because of the clean uh, energy output of the fusion reaction yes the output of the reaction is just you're going to get water yeah. you're not going to get toxic waste uh but yeah again Nabil, i would caution you uh even though there is optimism we should still take it the timeline is in decades from now i agree we're with not you. gonna it's not going to be a viable way of reaching our climate crisis goals uh, i i agree with yeah. you on that i'm i i in the next two decades no absolutely not yeah i mean just like for example graphene it's been it's been uh um, known that graphene has it's it's been over twenty years. It's still not commercially. You can't go. Why into, is it still not commercialized? Because these things take time. They, these takes yeah. forever. Uh, you can't go into a store and buy a graphene-based battery today. It's been over twenty years since the since the the the, the properties were discovered and 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 
you know uh, so yeah i I think that there's there's some positives there uh, just just to end the conversation. I think we could keep going for hours and hours on this, but <laughs> no. we should end somewhere. So yeah, I wanted to bring in those couple of points as 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 a uh, way to finish off the discussion. Anything that you want to mention? For yeah, that? I want to add that this is a very fascinating and very important topic, and I want everybody to think about this and research. Do your own research and see what uh, see what our energy situation is really like, and go and talk to politicians and become active you know it's uh it's very important uh, this is a, this is a crucial time uh, in the next couple of decades uh, we are basically looking at uh, a climate crisis um, uh, uh, falling off kind of like we're on the we're on the edge of a cliff right now so this is the time if you want to do something this is the time yeah definitely uh, and uh, we will catch you again in the next episode of uh, the unknown podcast um, at this time yeah that's the name we're going with take care bye guys Cheers. Okay, let's hope this thing uh